As we look at our text this morning, and hopefully um, one of the things you heard as Gary read our text was a word that I think sometimes as we're reading the Bible, there are times when we're, we're reading and, and words become what I call throwaway words. We just kind of skip over them. And these words are inspired. They're here. They're here for a purpose. And this morning, one of the words that I want to begin with and emphasize is that Peter, as he is writing here, as he is transitioning, if you were here last week and you heard Gary preach, and uh, that passage was rough <laughs> about false prophets, and you know the end of this passage, he says that they are going to return to their vomit. That he transitions from this harsh language, and, and he turns back to encouraging his audience, to encouraging the the believers to whom he is writing this letter, and he says, Beloved. And this term isn't just simple, you know, kind of word, but it's a, it's a word that's entrenched with deep meaning, and he wants these people to know that they're loved. That they're loved by him, and that they are loved by God. Peter, as he is writing this, is, being persecuted. He expects that his time on this earth is coming to a near end. Even as he's writing this and talking about false teachers and knowing that his audience is suffering from false teachers coming in and trying to pervert the gospel and lead them astray, as he knows that the writers, that the readers of this text to whom he is writing is are experienced some levels of persecution themselves, whether it's kind of low level, being marginalized, being pushed out in society. He knows that the people to whom he is writing are probably worn out. And he writes, and as he is coming to his final exhortation in this letter, he makes sure that they hear these words from him, Beloved, Beloved, here this morning, I and the Lord want you to hear this word as well. You are loved. You are His beloved. And many of us, I know I am weary. (laughs) I feel the pressures of this world, whether it's pulling towards worldliness, whether it's um, all of the other things that are going on, And I hear these words that Peter is writing and and I take them to heart and want you to take them to heart where he says, Beloved, beloved, I want to ask you this morning, because you are loved, what is your greatest need this morning? If I were to have handed out a piece of paper and were to pass it around and said, what is the greatest need of the church this morning? I'm sure I would have gotten a variety of ideas and I'm sure that some of the things on that list would have been a vaccine. And there's a big part of me that says, please work. I can't wait until we're all gathered back in here together without plastic, singing, fellowshipping, unencumbered. Where those of you who, because of loved ones or for other reasons, can't be with us, feel free to come in. We miss you. We miss being together. Some of you may say the greatest need that you feel is some sort of political or social rest, however that would come. 
that, that you're tired, that you, you view the world and everything that we're going through, and Christians part in it and the division, and you just want a break. Beloved, let me tell you what the Lord has told us. If this is what you feel like is the greatest need, this is not going to be very comforting. Because the Lord tells us that in the last days, we will have trouble. We are not to expect that this world is going to automatically fix itself or that on the hills of COVID-19, there may be something else, some other disease or pandemic that's out there. We are not promised easy living. In fact, we are promised the opposite. In this world, we will have troubles. I was at someone's workstation this week, uh, and this is just a funny aside. Um, I happened to be by Chris Clem's office this week, and as I, in the first service, Chris was here, and I said, I was at a, somebody's workstation who I don't believe is a Christian, and Chris thought I was talking about him, calling him out <laughs> from the pulpit. I said, no, no, Chris. Um, but I was at somebody's workstation this week, and uh, they kind of grabbed me and said, hey, man, this world is crazy. And I said, yeah, it sure is. And they said, do you think we're in the last days? And what he was wanting to do was engage me in political, social, scientific vaccine argument. And I said, yes, and where are you with the Lord? And his partner in his workstation just went right in sharing the gospel with him. And he was kind of taken back and swimming a little bit. But church, what is our greatest need? What is our greatest need. As Peter is writing to this audience that's worn out and weary, and I think we can relate. We're worn out and weary as well. And we need to be encouraged by the truth. Now, this doesn't mean we don't pray for a cure. This doesn't mean that we don't pray for... Um, things to get better in, our, in the political climate and social climate in our world. We should be praying for those things. But what I want to lay out to you this morning is that if those are the things that we feel like our, are our greatest need, we are gravely mistaken. And I want you to hear this word this morning as, as Peter is leaning into this audience. And I want us to hear what our greatest need is as well. And our greatest need is not found in the, the temporal things of this world, but our greatest need is found in the hope and security that we find in God. You see, as Peter is writing, he repeats a theme that he said earlier. And I hope that you, maybe you heard it, and maybe you can recall several weeks ago as Gary uh, was preaching in chapter 1. And we're going to flip back there a couple of times. But listen, uh, maybe, you, maybe you heard it again. Notice in verse 13, chapter 1, I consider it right as long as, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. And our text this morning says, Beloved, I am writing you a second letter in which I am stirring up your sincere mind. So Peter repeats this again. And so what I am looking at and what I am gleaning in this text, what I'm gleaning from these verses and in this book, that Peter 
would tell us that our greatest need is to be stirred up. And as Gary was preaching a couple of weeks ago, and as he talked about this whole idea of being stirred up, that the idea here in the text is to be awakened. To like be awakened from a sleep. To be stirred, to be brought out of a slumber. And I'm going to take some liberty here, but I don't think I'm taking too much of a liberty. And I want to use a different word here because I want it to call to mind what I think that Peter is trying to bring to our minds. The greatest need that we have as a church is to be revived. One of my pastoral heroes in many ways. He, I don't agree with him on everything, but uh, it's interesting that when I was talking with the elders here uh, five, over five years ago now about coming here. I was listening to, through a sermon series from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones died in the 80s. He was born in 1899. And one of the really encouraging things as a, as a pastor is that his sermons, a lot of them are recorded, and so you can go back and listen to him preach. And in particular, I was listening to a sermon series that he had on revival. Very interesting, and there are several things that he said that have just stuck with me because I think it is the truth. One of the things that he said is that the history of the church is the history of revival. That from the very beginning, the establishment of the church, that the church is, God is always reviving His church. God is always stirring up His church. That it goes through down periods and up periods, and God is always about the business of reviving His church. From Genesis until now. And in the introduction to this series on revival, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones goes to a really interesting place. He, he starts out in Genesis into a somewhat obscure story about Isaac. And Isaac is out and, and Isaac is in need of water. And Isaac can't find any water. And then Isaac remembers Abraham, his father, and the, the wells that his father dug. These wells had been filled in by the Philistines, the, the enemies of, of, of you know, the people at the time. And so what Martin Lloyd-Jones points out is that Isaac went and redug the wells of his father. And he draws this conclusion as a metaphor... That as Isaac was in need of nourishment, in need of water, what he did is he went back to the promises of God and that God had been with his father Abraham and God had given his father water and substance along his journey and Isaac went back to the wells of his father and there found life because the promises of God were true and Martin Lloyd-Jones uses this as a metaphor for us. That as we are in this day and time, and as we feel this need to be stirred and revived, what might we do? Our text makes this point, right? He says, I'm stirring you up, your sincere mind, by way of of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand. 
Again in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by what? By way of reminder. Brothers and sisters, I think that our problem, I see it all over the place, is that we get in a time of need and we feel like we need something new. That we need a new word from the Lord. That we need a fresh revelation of some sort. And so somebody writes a book or somebody intermingles um, Christianity with some other thing and a new revelation, a new this, and we go after that. Might it be, brothers and sisters, that what we need is to be reminded of God and His faithfulness and His Word? Isn't that what Peter was addressing in this text? Where do you think the false teachers came from? What do you think the position that they were coming from was? It was this. The culture around these believers was becoming, it was pressing in. The Lord had not returned. And these folks came up with a new revelation. They came up with a new doctrine. They came up with a new teaching. And it was leading the people of God astray. And the same thing happens today. And the same thing has always happened. I was reading this week in uh, First Chronicles. And I was reading about David and Saul and was just struck as I was preparing for this sermon about this story, this, this account in the Old Testament where uh, Saul was uh, in battle, uh, engaged against the Philistines. And Saul had this problem of always being scared of the Philistines and not knowing what to do. And one of the things that was common in the Old Testament is that God gave His people prophets. And that the king would go and consult the prophet and say, is it the Lord's will that I go up and fight? And the prophet would say yes or no, or, and even sometimes would tell him how to do it. And so what had happened is that Samuel had died. So Samuel wasn't there to give Saul advice, but Samuel had spoken. And if you know the, the story of Saul and David, you know that the Lord had given victory to his people over the Philistines. And what is interesting in this account and in this story is that at one hand you get David. And David is asked, are you going to go with us and fight against the Philistines? And do you remember what David said? Oh, the confidence in his statement. He said, you will see what we can do. Saul, having heard the same word from the Lord, had received the same instruction. Do you remember what Saul does in this moment? Samuel's dead. He goes to a medium. He goes to a woman practicing witchcraft because he needs a revelation. He needs new knowledge. He needs something to give him comfort. And the amazing thing about this story is that Saul had banished witchcraft from the people, so he had to go in disguise and go into this lady, and she was like, oh no, I can't do this because Saul will kill me if, she, if he knows what I'm doing. Oh, the irony there. But what I want you to see is the heart the human heart there that is still here and is in this text and in our society is that at time when we need a word from the Lord, when we need a stirring, there is the temptation to try to go and find something new when God has spoken. 
And the goal, what we need, is the stirring. And we are supposed to remember. We are supposed to go back. And notice he says, go back, verse 2, to the holy prophets. In verse 1, in chapter 1 again, verse 3. Seeing that His divine power, notice what God has given us. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may be, become partakers of the divine nature. Escape, who have escaped the uh, corruption that is in the world by lust. And in verse 13, I consider it right as long as, as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder in verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure that that and you do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. God has given this prophetic word that is sure. God has given us these precious promises. And if we lean into them and if we remember them and if we are stirred by them, we have everything we need to live in this life. But brothers and sisters, we so often chase after something new when we have the words of God that have power to give life and to revive and to stir your soul. And these promises are timeless. They're relevant. And they're the very words of God. And in this day, in this day in which we live, where there is a drift in the church towards non-biblical teaching, towards moralistic uh, teaching that is not rooted in the promises of God. In this day where there are false teachers springing up all around us, and in this day where the culture is pulling us as the church to drift and and to, to fit in, oh, how we need to be stirred and that we would heed this word from Peter and that these words that Peter writes to us would begin this process of stirring and reviving us. Now, let me ask you this question. I don't know what comes to mind when, to you, when I use the words revival or revive or being stirred. But the danger, I think, sometimes when I use this wording is that you think that I'm talking about just some kind of unhinged emotional experience. Uh, and, And that doesn't work. Um, Many of you know, if you've been here, I've used uh, uh, this as an example before or just how bad we were, but um, I was on a horrible high school football team. We were bad. Terrible. We went one and nine every year. That's bad. Go Pounders. So one of the things that would happen is that our coaches, and I had three coaches in four years, if that tells you anything, and every one of them would allow chaplains to come in and talk to us. And, and the purpose of the chaplain's speech was always to just kind of rile us up so that we would be emotionally uh, intense and ready to go out and fight. And you know what most, you know what we heard probably almost every week? We were, we were known to be bad everywhere. I mean, they knew. So do you know what these chaplains would come in and talk to us about? David and Goliath. 
oh, if you just, oh, you just, you're small, you're little, you're weak, but you can rise up against this giant, you know, whether it was Eastridge or Saudi Daisy or Red Bank or the defending state champions, you can rise up and do something. And you know how much, you know how long that emotion lasted? Maybe kickoff? Hey, he didn't run the kickoff back. Yes. But what gave way when the emotion faded was the reality of the situation, which was we were terrible. What Peter is doing is he is not wanting to stir you up to some kind of emotionalism. He is wanting to stir you up to the truth. And as he is writing to you, beloved, he is saying, here's who you are. You are the beloved children of God. You have been given these promises. God is with you. His word is sure. This is not to rile you up emotionally. It is to stand you on the truth. That's what revival in being revived is all about. Notice, notice, as he is writing this, he says, I am stirring up your what? Your sincere mind. He is not saying, I am stirring you up emotionally to have some kind of Christian pepper rally. He is saying, I am speaking to your mind the very truths of God. Now, When Peter uses this word, when Peter uses these words that he's stirring up your mind, he is not meaning that this is some mere intellectual classroom lecture where you are learning a bunch of facts. This whole idea about stirring up the mind is that he is looking at the mind and the readers would have read this as knowing that the mind was the the center of the whole being. And so as he is stirring up the mind here, there is a lot that is taking place. And it's interesting that he says sincere mind. And I think part of this means uh, some of your translations may say wholesome or pure mind. And and what he is saying here in some ways is that you're a believer. But he's also saying that as a believer, your sincere mind desires God, desires His glory, and desires to live in the right way. So as He is stirring up that mind, as He is inserting truth in that mind, that something is happening with our whole being. And so as we drink this Word, as we drink the Word of God, as we drink this truth, it begins to permeate us to our core. And as this truth comes in, the thing that happens is that all of a sudden we've got this solid foundation and we learn what it means. We're reminded, we're stirred that we can trust God. We can trust God's promises. That His word is sure and that we can stand on it. In fact, in this next section, he is in this section that towards this ending of this letter, he's going to tell them that, First of all, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. And then he's going to tell them that the the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. What he's telling them is in this divine truth, in these last days, when all these things are coming, you can stand firm. You can stand. You can trust in this word. And that when we drink these truths, not only does it inform our trust, but when we drink these truths, it also changes us and motivates us To live in the way that God wants us to live. When we trust that God is in control, when we trust that His promises are sure, it motivates us, it unlocks us to the potential to live for the kingdom and live for the glory of God and not to to no longer live for the glory of this world. And you can see, if this is going on, that it also changes the way that we worship and we worship in spirit and in truth. And so here's what I would say. 
Peter is not stirring his reader up to emotionalism. However, when we experience the truth of God and when it is really informing a sincere mind, what happens in us is that if there is no emotion in you over the truth of God, something is wrong. It's our whole being. It's everything about us that is affected as our minds are stirred. What's fascinating here to me as I read these two verses is that I see in these two verses, some of them very explicitly and some of them implicitly, that obviously that our greatest need is to be stirred, to be revived, and we're to do that by the commandments that we are to go back to God and His Word. And that I want you to see the means or the ways by which God does that. And it's, 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 it's in this text and it just blows me away. Notice that God is using Peter. Uh, Peter says, you know, I'm writing this to you. Um, this may be my last letter. You know, I, I, he, you know his, he felt like his death was imminent. He tells us that in the first chapter. In this third chapter, he says, this is the second time I'm writing to you. This is the second letter. And as he's telling us in these verses that we should remember the words spoken beforehand, notice what he does here. This is very fascinating to me. Notice in verse 2 that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. We get that. We saw that earlier in chapter 1, right? So that Peter is affirming the prophets as speaking the very word of God. Now the second thing he does here, which we would all agree with and his readers wouldn't have a problem with, Not only are we to remember the words spoken beforehand by the prophets, but he says also remember the commandments of our Lord Jesus Christ. But do you see how he tells us that we are, how that's communicated to us? By your apostles. So Peter, as he is writing this, as an apostle, I think what he's communicating to his hearers is this. I, as an apostle, am writing you the very words and commandments of Christ. Look at what else he does in verses 14 or 15 and 16, where he talks about Paul's writings. And notice he says that people distort and twist Paul's writing. Like what? Like they do with other scriptures. And so Peter, as he is writing, one of the things that he is telling his readers is yes, stand on the words and promises found in the Old Testament. But it's interesting, he didn't know this. They didn't have the New Testament as we have it. But looking back on this text, what we have Peter telling us is, stand on the whole Word of God. Isn't it amazing, brothers and sisters, the means by which God wants us to be stirred, wants us to be revived, and we hold it in our hands. It's amazing to me. This word, Peter's words that he wrote 2,000 years ago, still stir. When we drink from the waters of Peter's writings or Paul's writings, it should still stir. This is the means of grace, one of the means of grace that we find in this text. 
that awakens us is God's word. Uh, the, the, one of the other means of grace that I think is um, implicit, it's not explicit to this text, is the role of the Holy Spirit in this. Now, I, I, I'm taking a little bit of liberty, but I don't think I'm too far out on a limb here. At the very beginning of this book, Peter doesn't mention the Holy Spirit, but at the very beginning of this book, he mentions the precious promises of God. He's referring back to Old Testament uh, prophecy. Oh, he's talking about the last days over and over. I think in the minds of the readers, the, 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 the whole idea of being in the new covenant and, and what those prophecies were, were right here on the forefronts of their mind. And so implicit in that is that in that day, the Holy Spirit will be in your heart. That you will receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will guide you. And so when I hear Peter say that we are to be stirred by way of remembrance, one of the things that I think is just vital and that I feel like is here in the text is that it's the Holy Spirit's job when we read the Word of God, when the Word of God is is in front of us, that the Holy Spirit, in the way that I look at it, says, yes, yes. And so there are times we are reading this word and what we need to be revived, we need to to look at the sin in our life and we read something and we're convicted and the Holy Spirit says, yes, and then the Holy Spirit takes us to the throne of God and we receive forgiveness and we rejoice. Other times we need to be encouraged and we're reading Psalms like we were reading this morning and the Holy Spirit inside of us just says, yes, yes. So the Holy Spirit takes that word, empowers it and implies it to us in the life of of a believer, and I think it is implicit in this text, and that is a means of grace in which God uses to stir us from the reading of His Word by the Spirit taking that and doing something inside of us. Another means of grace, another means of grace, Peter is dead, right? I mean, he's alive in Christ. But Peter's no longer walking this earth. But when Peter was walking this earth, Peter saw himself as an apostle. He was an apostle. And and, and, and we see in the New Testament, when it's talking about the gifts to the church, that one of the gifts to the church were the apostles. And that we have their words. Back then they had Peter himself. And we had Peter writing letters to encourage the church, and writing letters to tell uh, the churches to remember the words of the Scripture. And so Peter is no longer here. But I think God is still using men and women in the church to stir up one another. And I think it is our job in the church as believers to, to stir one another up. There is no such thing, no such good thing, as a Lone Ranger Christian. When you are saved, you are saved into the body of Christ, into the church. And if we were to, we could take a long survey this morning and walk through um, that, 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 that God has many gifts for us as believers. And every time that God talks about the gifts that He has given us as believers, the, the spiritual gifts... The gifts are given to one another for the mutual building up and edification of one another, which means we need other people in our life 
to be built up. And what Peter is doing here is Peter is giving us an example of how a believer stirs up others. And so I think one of the other means of grace that we see in this text is that now we, now we, the apostles are all gone, we must stir one another up. Now, what I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is that if someone in this church writes you a letter that you stick it in the back of your Bible as a new revelation, that's no longer happening. What I am saying is that we as the body of Christ should be about the business of stirring one another up. And we do that by pointing one another to the Word of God. That in this time where there is high anxiety, where there is high fear, where there is high need, where there's all this pressure in and around us, one of the things that we need as a church is that we need to be building up one another in the Word of God and pointing one another to this Word as a source to be revived. This world is pulling on all of us to make temporal things ultimate. And brothers and sisters, beloved, I hope, I hope that as you read this text, that what you see is that what is most important, what is most vital, is that your spirit is stirred. And I want to get very, very, very practical this morning. And I want to ask you to do several things. The first thing that I want to ask you to do is to pray for one another. Pray for one another. All of the things, I'm, well, all of the big categories I talk about, you can do whether you're um, at home, not getting out, or out and about. You can do all of these things. So the first thing is pray. And one of the things I would encourage you to do is this. Go into Breeze. That's our church management software system. And if you need help, if you need to... Uh, in, in, in Breeze, um, all the members and regular visitors of the church are in there. And I would encourage you to go in there, go to people, and just start praying through the people that are there. And here's the deal. Even if you don't know them, pray for them. I know some of you tell me that you wish everybody's picture was in there so you'd know who they were. And yes, I wish that too, but they're not. It's okay. Go in there, read the names, and pray. And I want you to pray specifically that God would stir the heart. The second thing that I want to do that I feel like that God has laid on my heart is that uh, in the next month or so, you will receive from us um, a year-long Bible reading plan. So one of the things I would love for us to do is all be reading together through the Bible in a year. And my hope and my expectation and prayer would be this, that as you're out and about or as you're maybe emailing someone or FaceTiming or having lunch or whatever situation you're in, that wouldn't it be amazing if you knew where somebody else was in the Scripture and that maybe this morning you've read something and God really spoke to you and you know that your brother and sister in the Lord that is reading that is reading the same thing and that God might use that to really stir up His people at Single Mountain Bible Church? Which leads me to the last thing. 
And that is this, is that as we are doing this together, I want to implore you, as we're reading through the Bible together, that you stir one another up by vocalizing what God is showing you in the text. So what I'm meaning is for some of you is to kind of step out and it might be that you're reading something and God really speaks to you and I'm wanting you to send an email. I'm wanting in your Titus 2 meetings. I'm wanting in your Bible study meetings. I'm wanting, I'm wanting you to speak out and talk about what God has done. And, and one of the things that we're going to do in, uh, in between services, we have, uh, I saw the template of this. We have some very tech-savvy people and one of our guys who has just been a blessing to me, I pitched this idea to him, and uh, he got on it. And so there's going to be a, uh, and we're still ironing out some details, but there's going to be a, a web-based forum that's going to be called smbcbibleinayear.com. You've got to go in and log on. And what all it is there is for you to be able to log in and to type out what God is showing you, what God is doing in your heart through the reading of His Word. That my hope may be that... It's an encouragement, just one more way that we can encourage one another. So you'll be hearing more details on that later. My prayer, my prayer is that we, Signal Mountain Bible Church, are a people who are stirred. My prayer as the pastor of this church is that we are not a people who are stirred in peaks and valleys, but that are a people that are constantly being stirred. And that we are constantly being stirred by the means of grace that God has given us, but at the foundation we're being stirred by the right thing, the Word of God that is in us, that we are remembering, that the Holy Spirit is calling to memory as we act and interact with Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how great you are. God, I am reminded you are able to do far more above anything than any of us can do on our own. And you have given us your word and your spirit takes your word and does something inside of us that we can't imagine or we could never do ourselves. God, I pray that you would do this here in the life of this church, that we would take serious our mission as fellow believers, as gifts to this body, as gifts to your church locally and globally, that we would be a people who stand on your word and encourage one another with your word. God, revive our hearts. Revive our hearts. Our greatest need is to be stirred. And I pray that you would do that even this morning. It's all possible. Because your son died on the cross and made a way for us to be reconciled with you. So that we can be your people. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your son Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me, we'll end.